in John chapter 6. And as we are looking at these chapters in the Gospel of John, uh, we are looking at what um, really who Jesus says he is. And if you look at this world and you listen to this world and maybe you viewed some of these things, maybe you do now, but people have different beliefs of who Jesus is or as some would say, who Jesus was. Some, some people believe that Jesus was a religious, spiritual leader like Buddha or Muhammad. Others say that Jesus was, he was a prophet, a miracle worker. Others say he was a holy man, a wise teacher, Some say he was just a man. And others say that Jesus is the one and only true holy God. But if you even read the gospel accounts, the the people around Jesus while he walked the earth, they had their own views. From the disciples to strangers to the crowds who they were thinking and wondering, well, hey, is he just uh, uh, Mary and Joseph's son? Did he just say that he's gone? Maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe he's that prophet, and on and on. One of the things I enjoy reading the Gospel of John is you have accounts of the life of Christ and teachings of the life of Christ, which Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't have, and at the same time, they all have together. And as you look at John, he records specifically miraculous, supernatural, wonderful works of Jesus, all for the point of telling the people who he really is. And when you read of these accounts, you read what John has written, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write every word down in the Gospel of John, where there's no inconsistencies, there's no issues or problems. The Holy Spirit directed him what to write about the life of Jesus Christ. And John repeatedly shows that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that he is Lord God Almighty. Even though people today don't believe it, and people then did not believe that. And John, at the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 20, he says this to sum up the Gospel of John. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, here it is, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, have life in his name. John tells us why he wrote this thing, so that a person can have life in Jesus Christ, who is the great I Am. And so the next six weeks following today, we will look at the other, there's seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John. And in each one, and in each instance, there are people trying to figure out who is this guy, and he plainly tells them who he is, that he is God. And we look at an exciting text this morning. And as you again are turning to John chapter 6, which we'll read here in just a minute, I was thinking about bread this week. Sourdough bread, French bread, brioche, cornbread, and chili. I don't know, maybe someone brought that for the potluck today. My wife and I, when we were first married, we would go to this Italian place down the street from where we lived. And they had great pasta, great Italian food, but we would fill up on this Italian twisted bread that they would bring out and they would just pour this like liquid butter, herb, I don't know, spice, and you just would eat that. 
And I'm like, we would be eating that or they keep bringing it. It's like, yeah, we got the pasta. That was good too. But I could just eat the bread and have a meal there. We would go to other places at this one store and we'd get a baguette and just take it home, rip it apart. If we got it when it was warm, that was even greater. Just cover it with butter. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you love bread. And you know what I know that you can fill up on bread and that's all you need. Croissants. And then for the dessert, banana bread. Some of you are like, I don't like that, but hey, I do. Or just as I would go and visit my grandparents next door, Grandpa Herb loved just some white toasted bread with all kinds of butter on it and a bunch of jelly. That's good too. Some of you are already hungry. There's this hunger that we have for food and maybe even specifically bread. And the challenge or the question for you and I today when we read the Word of God is what are you hungering for in life? What is your, not your stomach hungering for, but your soul? What is your soul hungering for in life? And has it, or is your soul satisfied today or is it unsatisfied? Because A soul that is unsatisfied is one that is trying to satisfy or fill their soul with the things of this world or a person or a relationship in this world. And there's this longing that if I could just have this, then I will feel better and I will be filled and satisfied. But as Jesus says, the only way that you can be spiritually filled and satisfied is by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that he is your Lord, that he is your Savior, that he is your creator, that he is the one who has given his life for you. The scriptural truth from John chapter 6 we see this morning is that Jesus, who is the bread of life, is the only one who can save hungry souls from death. I'm going to read verses 22 through 40. Please, this I know I tell you every week, read this text and read this. And when someone says, hey, you gave us like 10 chapters to read. Okay, well, great. Would you read John chapter 6 this week? Please go read John chapter 6, because we're only going to read a portion of it. In verses 1 through 15, you have these crowds that come to Jesus, and he feeds them when there's no food other than a few pieces of bread and a couple pieces of fish. And it says there were 5,000 men that were fed, and that was not counting the women and children. So was there 10,000 there? Was there 15,000? However many thousand, they were all fed. It says they were filled, and there was 12 baskets of food left over. A miracle that, that Christ did. And then what happens, he tells the disciples, get in the boat. Jesus goes off by himself. The disciples get in the boat at nighttime. They're rowing, trying to make it through the wind. And Jesus goes to them walking on the water. Now this is the next morning. The crowd that he fed, they all woke up. And here's what happens in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it, is, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do, yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We are blessed again to have the words of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written down to perfection, that we can read, and we have the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. So we thank you, Lord, that you could do that, and we pray that you would teach us anew. So Jesus, again, has gone to the other side. The crowds has not seen what has happened. Where is Jesus? They wake up in the morning, and they are looking for breakfast. The bread and the fish, that was wonderful yesterday. It was like the best bread and the best fish, and I was filled up. We need breakfast. As you read earlier in the text, they had all traveled from all over, and there was really, uh, they stayed there. If they had traveled from the homes, they didn't travel back at night, and so they wake up, and they're looking for Jesus, and they realize the disciples aren't there, Jesus is not there, let's go to the other side. They, he had to have gone with the disciples. And as they are going out there, they find Jesus, and they begin to treat him like a genie with a magic lamp. Jesus, great food yesterday. We need some more. Could you do it again? Whatever you did. They totally miss what he teaches them of who he is. They're going after what he does, not for who he is. And so they look for Jesus to fill their stomachs. In verse 26, Jesus tells them, truly, truly. Anytime he you see Jesus saying truly, truly, or repeating that, pay attention he says, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You don't want to come to me because I am God. You don't want to come to me for salvation. You don't want to come to me because I'm the bread of life. You just want to come to get your bellies filled. And as you see, if you were picking up as we were reading this, they're blinded to everything Jesus is saying. They don't pick up on anything. They just are thinking, we need this food. Wait, you want us to work? What type of work are we supposed to do? And they're not hearing what Jesus is teaching, or they're not understanding uh, in their hearing. And Jesus tells them the truth of their hearts. You just want something to meet your need of a hungry belly. And so Jesus tells them, in verse 27, he says, Do not work for food that perishes, but work 
for, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Now that's important when you read this. He repeats himself, I mean, repeatedly through chapter 6. I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. Three times he tells him that. He says, I am, I am. We'll look at that in just a minute. This statement of saying that he's God. Repeatedly he tells them, I am God. And they miss it. And he tells them, it's because you're trying to achieve something here in this world for yourself. And you're coming after me for a work that I did and not because of who I am. Again, I wonder at their journey as they got in boats and went across, I wonder what Jesus is going to feed us today. Are we going to have lamb? What are we going to have? Steak today? What's Jesus going to do for us? Maybe he will perform even a greater sign. Because again, if you look as they were waiting for the Messiah, they were looking for a Messiah who would do some signs and wonders and he would rule and reign. And if you read the beginning of the chapter, they wanted to make him king just because he filled their bellies. I mean... That's a pretty exciting thing. If I could fill you guys, fill with all kinds of great food today, and you're like, hey, let's make Paul president or something, you know? It's like they wanted to make Jesus king because he fed them, and they were totally missing the truth of who he is. And it happens today. Um, today, people hear the gospel, they hear the truth of Jesus, and they miss it. Some people want to follow Jesus because if I follow him, he'll bless my life. He'll bless my family. He'll give me finances. He'll bless my work, my job, my schoolwork, and these things. And they follow him for something they want from him and not because he is the one who can give life eternal. This week I was reading, um, there was an interview with, um, some of you know this actor, his name is Mark Wahlberg. And as he was being interviewed in this, and as I read the interview afterward, he was sharing just that he had this great gratitude for his wording was his relationship with the Catholic religion. And as he went on with that, he began to talk about this works in the sense of saying that by having this relationship with this religion, that it provided him a world of opportunity. And he began to talk about, as I practiced my faith and was more disciplined in this religion, I was blessed by all kinds of other opportunities. He said, uh, the faith part of the discipline has really afforded me all the other wonderful things in my life. My family, my career, being able to turn my life around and on. But that was the response, what he said, to having a religion and a spirituality, and because he had that, and he worked hard on it, then he got these other benefits, and then he went on to say, hey, every year we get a reset button. We get to start over again to get blessed even more in the sense. It's like many people are like this actor, then in Jesus' time and now, many of us at some point even were like him, where maybe, just maybe we thought, if I followed Jesus Oh, I'll be blessed. And we want to come for some miraculous work that he does, and we don't want to go to Jesus because he is God. And he's the one and the only one that provides salvation. And so they are going after the food. Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And so in verse 34, if you look, they say, Jesus, give us that bread. If there's bread that gives us eternal life, give it to us. Again, they don't get it. 
Just like the woman in the well in John chapter 4. She's at this well and Jesus is talking to her and he begins to interact and there's like getting water out of this well and he begins to say, hey, but there's water that I give which you'll never thirst again. So again, he's telling her, I'm God, but yet she doesn't get it. She says in John chapter 4 verse 15, the woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Do you see the correlation between the crowd and the woman? And we'll see this throughout John. Do you see the correlation with your life? Coming to God because you want something? How many people do you know who have no regard for Jesus Christ, but in their time of trouble throw up a prayer because, God, I'm going to go to church if you do this for me. Some of you are like, don't say that. I've done those prayers before. Lord, help this, straighten this, do this in my life, and if you do, then I will do this. I'll give you my life. Some of you maybe have prayed the fearless, fearful prayer of going, Lord, if you do this, I'll become a missionary. And then later you're like, oh, no, no, Lord, I really was kind of joking about that. I really don't want to go to that place. I don't want to go to that country. I'm comfortable here. I mean, but if you think about it, in reality, this is how we are in humanity. We want everything for ourselves, the pridefulness of our heart, the sinfulness of our hearts. We want to satisfy ourselves. And when we can't get that answer, we think, well, if we could talk to the higher power or God, then maybe he'll bless me with this. And this is what the people are doing. And Jesus says, you're coming to me not because of who I am. You're coming to me because you want me to give you some food or do something even greater. In verse 28, they say, what works should we do? They ask a good question. All right, Jesus, if we're supposed to work for this eternal uh, life that endures forever, uh, what work should we do? And this, look at verse 29, circle this, highlight this. Jesus answered them, here it is, this is the work of who? What's it say there? This is the work of who? God. Don't forget that. We'll come back to this multiple times here. That you believe in him who he sent. As I read in John chapter 6 this week, a chapter which many people will fight and argue over, I was so filled with joy that this is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible to show us God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in salvation. And as I read through this, it's like people get hung up on a verse here and a verse here. It's like, read the whole chapter! Did you get to verse 63 and see the end of it? But the problem is, is we get into this word I don't like and that sentence that I don't like, and does it really say that? Because it all goes back to, again, this crowd or the woman of the well. It's all about us and not about God. It says, this is the work of God, verse 29, that you believe in him whom he has sent. He repeats himself in verse 35 and verse 40 and verse 47 and throughout the gospel of John to believe in Jesus. He says, believe in me. Over and over and over, he says, believe in me. People will say, Jesus never said he was God. Here in this chapter, he says emphatically, I am God. Believe in me. This is what Jesus calls to every one of us who hears the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ and so he tells them that this work is not what they do, but this is the work of God that you believe. 
And the work of God is believing in Jesus Christ by faith alone, uh, that Jesus is Lord, that he is Savior. And so you have God's work, and you have man's responsibility seen not only in this verse, but throughout the chapter. The chapter previous in John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says this in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so Jesus tells them in verses 22 through 29, work for the food that is eternal, eternal life, and that work is the work of God, and believing in Jesus Christ is your responsibility. In, verse, in, in verses 30 through 35, though, let's see what else he adds on here. Because they're asking for that food. That's the second point, asking for food. In verse 30, so they say to him in his response, after they hear that this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent, they say, then what sign do you do? Do you get it? It's a broken record. They didn't hear what Jesus just told them. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? It's like, like I don't know, the disciples in the background going, like, wait, where were you yesterday? Were you not fed? Did you not see thousands of people being fed? It's like they forgot just a few hours earlier their bellies were filled by this miraculous work with five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. And they're like, what sign do you do, Jesus? You really want us to believe? Then show me. And people do that today. If God is really real, then he's going to do this. How many people have heard that before? How many people do you know today that you've shared the gospel with family members, friends, schoolmates, coworkers, neighbors, and you're like praying, Lord, would you call them to you? Would you direct them to you? Would you show them the gospel and open their eyes? And yet they continue to say to you, well, if he shows me this, then I'll believe. They're like those people. They'll never believe. There must be the work of God, and they would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What they're quoting is they go on in verse 31. They bring up manna from the wilderness. If you have not read Exodus, you can go back and read of the journeys after God brings them out of uh, captivity to Pharaoh in Egypt. And for 40 years, God provided food for them, bread, manna. And they're giving God credit kind of because they're quoting Psalm 78, but they're also giving credit towards Moses. And they're like, show us a sign. Make some more bread for us right now, Jesus. If you do that, we will believe in you. Again, feeding 5,000 men and the women and children were not enough for them. They wanted more signs. They're like, Jesus, your miracle is great, but you know what? Moses was greater. He fed over a million people for 40 years in the wilderness. And so Jesus corrects them in verse 32 and 33. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but who was it? It says, my what? My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And so here's the key. He's telling them again, my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, three times in this interchange with them, he tells them, the one, the one who comes down is the Lord. And he's like, I have come down. He repeats it three times. He tells them that. You can read in verse 38 and verse 50. And at the end of the text there, 
In verse 33, he doesn't make it any clearer that the true bread from heaven is who, he says. He says me. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. <clears throat> Jesus is pointing out to the people um, a biblical truth that we hold to, uh, this big word called the incarnation. That Jesus Christ, who is God, as we just celebrated a couple of months ago, the birth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came down from heaven and was born, the babe in the manger, that Jesus, God Almighty, added full humanity to himself, being fully God and fully man, so that in one he could then go to the cross and be the perfect sacrifice and in that his humanity and in his deity that he never sinned once and therefore he could bear the weight of your sin on the tree. And God the Father would punish the Son and pour his wrath on the Son meant for you and Jesus would shed his blood so that you would be forgiven. And the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to the truth and that you would hear the gospel. And not only that Jesus Christ died, but what happened the third day? He rose again. Believing that Jesus Christ is Lord, God Almighty, the only one who saves. And you are saved by faith in him is a glorious work of God. And so he tells them, I'm the bread of life. Jesus says, I am God. He says, you only have eternal life in me. If you jump ahead and you read in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that there may have life and have it abundantly. Is your soul satisfied that you have life abundant today? Is your soul filled with the joy of the Lord even in the midst? I don't know if you caught that, that last song we were singing. And I think it was in that last verse, the second last verse. In all of the life's troubles and circumstances. And yet God is so good. And that we can have a joy that's everlasting, that's ever growing for all eternity. Because of the work of God through his son Jesus at the cross. And we give glory to him for that. This abundant life that Jesus gives to his people is free for us, but comes at a great cost to Jesus. For our sake, this is 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become what, church? The righteousness of God. Something that no one can become apart from the work of Jesus Christ. Go back to John 6. They still don't get it. Do you see this here? How many people do we know that don't get it? And you're like, well, I was one of those people in the crowd. It took a number of years, a bunch of things happening, and the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, and then I believed. They're like, verse 34, be like Moses. They call him, sir, give us that same bread. Do that work. And their lack of understanding moves Jesus to tell him again. He says again, he's speaking about himself. And he teaches them, even though many of them miss it and leave him, that they can be satisfied and full of life. That's the third point, is that you can be satisfied and full of life, but only through the grace of God and Jesus Christ alone. 
Look at verses 37 through 40 in this third and final point, satisfied and full of life. Here's the I am. Jesus says to them, just point blank, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That word I am that we'll also see in the next uh, six weeks as Jesus says, I am the door, I am the great shepherd, I am the resurrection and life. When he uses this word, he uses this word in the Greek, which is this uh, ego, I, can't, I, can't, I tried saying it all week long, even listen to a Greek guy, it's like ego emi. Um, this word, I am. This word, ego, which Jesus uses first, is where we get the English word, ego, our personality. Or some people say, yeah, their ego is too big or whatever. But you have this word, ego, which means I am in the Greek. And then he uses the word, emi, which also is I am. So you wait, I am, I am? That's, that's really what it's like he's saying. He puts the two words together, I am, I am the bread of life. In the original Greek language, though, it's it's... The bread of life, I am. And when you read this, um, if you were um, a Jewish scholar, person studying a religious leader, you would have like, whoa, Jesus just said he's God. A lot of people are missing this. But if you go and you read in Exodus chapter 3, when you read um, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So again, the Old Testament re- written in Hebrew, the Greek te- uh, text written in, I mean, the New Testament written in Greek. We have a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And in Exodus chapter 3, Moses comes upon the burning bush. Who's speaking out of the burning bush? God Almighty. And God tells Moses his name using the same words that we see Jesus using in John 6. He says this, God said to Moses, Exodus 3, 14, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Imagine being a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a scribe there with the crowd and hearing Jesus saying, I am, I am the bread of life. The bread of life I am. You just called yourself God. Can you understand then now when they want to kill him and take him to the cross? They see him only as a man and say, you're blasphemous because you just said you're God. So if anyone ever tells you, especially again, we're leading up to Resurrection Sunday, Easter, you'll see it on the History Channel, you'll see it on Discovery Channel, all these things, they always bring back every year, I just give you the disclaimer. They always want to tear down Jesus. They always want to say, and they'll say, Jesus never said he was God. Well, you can yell at the screen if you dare watch it and say, yes, he did. John chapter 6, 35, he said he was God. But Jesus says he's the bread of life. He is the bread of life, the only one who can fill your soul and give you satisfaction in life. There's times where you, I don't know, I don't know what your favorite thing, but eating pizza maybe. Okay, I'll go to barbecue. That's another one. And you eat, you got all the sides, mashed potatoes and maybe the corn on a cob, or those of you who love the green stuff, the green stuff. 
You got the steak right there. Right? And, and, and you're just like, I mean, it's not even Thanksgiving. It's not even Fourth of July. It's like, man, the first day of uh, warmth around here, we're going to have a barbecue. And you get done and you're just full. You're just like, man, that was good. I'm going to go sit in the chair, lay down on the couch and rest for a while. This, this is like, I'm satisfied. Again, that's from this physical point. But can you imagine how your soul is when you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? There's a satisfaction that comes into your soul that you are forgiven of your sins and that you have joy in Jesus Christ. You have assurance that you didn't have before so that if you died today, even though that may be a fearful thing to you, you have the assurance that the blood of Jesus Christ, my faith in him, I will be with him for eternity because he's my Lord and Savior. That is the picture of the satisfied life in Jesus Christ and I pray that is your soul today. And if it's not, Go back to verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe. Today, the Lord may be opening your eyes right now. The Holy Spirit may be showing you the cross, even though you've seen or heard it a million times. And today's the day you're like, oh, the holiness of God, I am a sinner. You're the bread of life. Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me of my grievous sins against you. Would you save me? Would you make me your own? Would you adopt me? I want to be with you for eternity. And know this. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he is the one who saves. And you can take a deep breath and sleep better tonight because you do not have to do a work to be saved. I thought that would be an amen. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but... Um, even as a Christian at times, I can become confused and think, like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for the church. I'm doing this for this people. And it's like, God's going to be pleased with me. No, he's already pleased with you as his child. If you didn't hear the sermon that Chauvet preached last week on assurance of salvation, go back to the website, go to the podcast and listen to it this week. Because as he was preaching the truth of the scripture for the believer who's satisfied by the bread of life. There was assurance and God will never lose his own. He is returning one day and his own will come and be with him for eternity. And so you take joy in that and you have great assurance. And if death comes before that, praise the Lord because you're able to be with him. Let's look at this last few verses. <clears throat> Verse 36, <clears throat> but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Here it is again, repetitive. Many people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They reject him as Lord and Savior. They do not believe that he is the one to save them. And as I begin to read through the rest of chapter 6 in these last few verses here, I was reminded of John chapter 3. There was a man, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night and is kind of hiding, one of these Pharisees. And he's like, Jesus, we know that you are sent from God. You do these miracles. You do these works. You're a great teacher. And Jesus says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And he goes on to say that the Holy Spirit does a work to make someone, to cause someone to be born again. And if you read John chapter 3, 
Being born again, it goes hand in hand with Jesus. He says, believing in me. In 1 Peter chapter 1, one of the disciples who followed Jesus, who when he realized that Jesus was God, he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He says this in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great, what? Mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so Nicodemus goes, how can I be born again in my mother's womb? He goes, no, you don't get it. The Holy Spirit causes you to be born again. God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, does that work again. This is the work of God, verse 29, that you believe. God does a work. You cannot make yourself born again. God is the one. It uh, says we're, we have a heart of stone that he gives a heart of flesh, the Holy Spirit does that. And we should say, praise God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, what Peter says, that he's caused us to be born again. And when you read that, and you continue reading here in John 6, and you see this in John 3, and you read in 1 Peter 3, it's only by the grace of God that we're given the gift of faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Many of you have this memorized. It says, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith, is it saved by works? Are you sure? There, it doesn't say work for the food. Does it say for by grace you've been saved by working through the food for Jesus? No. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is what? The gift of God. It is the gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus continues on in verse 37, and he says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And usually at this point, people want to raise up a flag and say, Whoa, whoa, wait, let's just argue about this. And I'm like, well, I, just read through all the Scripture. He clarifies every single one of these statements. It does not say in the text, Everyone who comes to, the Father, or comes to Jesus, then the Father will give to me. No, you look at the actual structure in the sentence, it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And here again, another part of this chapter which shows us God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in salvation. It goes right along with Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 29. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Again, the work of salvation is a glorious thing that God does. It's something that we owe him praise. Are you burdened? Are you unsatisfied? Are you trying to fill it with something in the world Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, who all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He calls, says, Come to him. But what is confusing, and the reason why I tell you to read all of John chapter 6, is because you get to verse 44. And people think, Well, that doesn't fit right. In verse 65, well, John 6 44, it's up on the screen. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This Again, total connection with John 3, 1 Peter 3, verse 65. This is why I told you 
that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. And so you have to, when you're like, but I don't like how the word says, then go back to verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in the Son of God. I don't know how to help you with this other than I've prayed. When I, was, I woke up this morning, I was like, Lord, I have nothing to say today. I can't make anyone understand John chapter 6. I can't convince anyone to come to Jesus Christ. Only you can do that. I've been praying all morning, Holy Spirit, would you please give us understanding that we've never had, that we throw out all of our our arguments, our walls, everything about like, I know these verses, I've argued this for years, and throw it to the side and say, Jesus, just teach me today. That's what happens supernaturally in the preaching of the word of God. It's not any person standing in the pulpit. It's not the man who stands in the pulpit preaching the word. It's the Holy Spirit illuminating the truth of God to you that you would see and hear and believe. John 16, Jesus says this in verses 8 and 9. And when he, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Go read John chapter 16. And so when you look at all of this text, and uh, actually let me finish in John 6 here, with verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Amen. For I have come down from heaven. Here it is again. He's like, hey, I'm God. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have what? eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The reason why Jesus told his disciples, I must leave so that the helper would come, is because we as a people in this world need the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts as of our sinfulness, and that, the, that God would do that work, because when the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts of our sinfulness, and we hear of the cross and the resurrection of Christ, We believe in Jesus Christ. We're given the gift of faith which saves so that we do not have to do any work. And God gets all the glory and our souls are satisfied in him. The last verse in John 6, close with this. He says this in verse 63, which for me sums up this chapter on God's sovereignty Man's responsibility. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Did you see that? The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And I have to tell you that in my lifetime, there have been many a day where I gave glory to my flesh that I just decided one day that I needed Jesus. That did happen. But it wasn't on my own flesh or my power. It was the Holy Spirit who showed me the cross of Jesus, who drew me to the Lord, 
that I would believe that he is the bread of life. And I pray that that is what the Lord does in your life. And that if he has, that you relish in the joy of Christ and that you long for the day of his return. And that while you're here, the work you are to do, Ephesians 2.10, is the good works of sharing the gospel with others that they would believe. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, as we read earlier, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Father, you are glorious, you are mighty to save, and you receive all the praise and all the glory for saving us. Holy Spirit, thank you for convicting our hearts of sin. Holy Spirit, thank you for causing us to be born again. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of faith. We believe in you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen.